Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love, if you have love for one another, the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be to you, Lord Christ. together. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us a heart that would want to follow you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I was out of town last weekend, uh, missed Palm Sunday with my family. It felt like a terribly off beginning to Holy Week. We do our best to try and make Holy Week truly different from the other normal weeks of the year to to separate it. And so to make up for it, on Monday morning about 7.25 a.m. as I was driving my two children to carpool, I decided to ask them a question because a good father always annoys his children as early in the morning as possible. And I said, what would you do if you knew you only had five days left to live? It's an appropriate question given the week. One child spoke up first and said, I would do good things for other people. She's our altruistic one. And then the other spoke up and said, I would pray and then do a bunch of fun stuff. (laughs) And if you know my kids, you know those two disparate responses are actually completely appropriate. But Holy Week, when when we set it aside, what happens is we truly can can focus We can enter in. Things seem to slow down at least just a little bit in the hectic and hurry of our lives. And so the slowness of the week, it allows for contemplation. And then something else happens, the exactness of it, it allows us to focus in and actually 
find ourselves in the final hours and in the final days of Jesus, like here, we get to see what Jesus does in his last 24 hours. The passage states that from the beginning. It says he knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. And it begs the question, what would he do with his final evening? We see it. He hosts a meal, a final meal with his closest friends. And what he does at that meal tells us something about who he is, but it also tells us something about what we are about to do for one another. So first, a sacrifice, and second, a servant. Our passage quickly informs us, if you look at verse 1, that Jesus' dinner is hosted before the feast of the Passover. Now, Passover was no small deal for the Jewish people. You could argue, actually, that it was the biggest celebration on the Jewish calendar. This seems obvious from our Old Testament reading. And this is still celebrated to this day in pretty extravagant fashion with an eight-day celebration. There's not many things we celebrate for eight days. And it's a celebration of freedom, of forgiveness, and of feasting. Freedom from Egypt. Freedom from Pharaoh. Freedom from the powers of darkness that held Israel prisoner for decades, even centuries. Forgiveness, which is offered through a very strange substitute sacrifice. If any Israelite was covered by the sacrificial blood of the unblemished lamb, judgment passed over him. Hence, Passover. The life of the unblemished lamb sufficed as justice for a bunch of blemished people. And then, of course, there would be feasting out of gratitude and celebration for this goodness and this kindness of God shown through forgiveness and through freedom. And what's interesting, if you've ever taken part in a, in a Seder or even looked into the elements of the Passover meal, is that each is a sign of God's provision, of, of God's power, of God's kindness toward his people, and it's abundant. It's typified not with one, not with two, not with three, but with four cups of wine that one takes throughout the meal. And of course, there's the, the bread, and of course, you see the wine, but also, if at all possible, a lamb shank is there to honor the sacrifice of the lamb that was slain to save the people. Ultimately, all this is to honor God, who had rescued them out of sin, out of darkness, out of slavery. But as, as Jesus hosts this final meal with those closest to him, we, we can see that the perfect place has been provided, and we can see that there's bread and there's wine in this passage, but where is the lamb? It's missing. The, the sign of, of the substitute sacrifice for sin, the means of atonement, the medium of freedom and forgiveness, it seems to be missing. The host is the lamb. That's the whole point. And it's concealed here in this narrative, but it's revealed from the very beginning of John's gospel. When Jesus first walks on the scene, when he first appears, John the Baptist looks off in the distance and he sees him. And it says in John 1 29 that he sees Jesus coming toward him. And he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The host is the lamb. And in this final meal and this feast, he serves bread and he serves wine. But it's, it's abundantly clear that partaking in these is intended to be a feasting on himself. This is my body, he says. This is my blood. And they don't understand, but they will later, won't they? The bread and the wine, they present 
his body. They present his blood, and it would be abundantly shed and sacrificed to provide freedom and forgiveness and fulfillment for sinners. Those of us who perhaps like me, I'm sure like you, are often enslaved and tempted by the patterns, the appetites, the ways of this darkened world. And it signifies that life is found by feasting on him. Every Sunday towards the end of our Eucharistic liturgy, a pastor stands behind the table and when he breaks the bread, do you remember what he says? Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. And then all the people respond, therefore, let us keep the feast. His dying wish is that you would feast on him. I'm curious, are you hungry? Truly, is, is your soul, is your heart so very hungry? The host is the lamb. Feast on him. But that's not all we see in this final meal. We're also told in verse 2 and following that during supper, he rises from the table. During supper, he rises from the table. He lays aside his outer garments. He takes a towel and wraps it around his waist. He pours water into a basin like you see up here. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet, wiping their feet with a towel that he just put around his half-naked self. Now, foot washing, believe it or not, was fairly normal in antiquity. Okay, feet could and would become rather disgusting. Think about it. There's dusty roads and there's sandaled feet that travel by foot. If you're fortunate, you might do it by animal. But we all know what animals leave in the road. You better watch your step. In a real sense, the dirtiest part of someone was their feet. And so whatever feet you might wash tonight, just as a, an encouragement, it will be nothing like the feet that they had to wash back then. The customary way that foot washing would happen for a person is that they would either wash their own feet or as they entered a home, the host would provide a servant. And not just a servant, but the lowliest of his servants, because he's going to perform the lowliest of tasks. And that lowliest servant was to wash the guest's feet as they entered the home. And so again, we see Jesus hosting this final meal, and he's there with those closest to him. And we see provided the perfect place, and we see the bread and the wine. But the question could be asked, where is the servant? He's missing. Where's the servant to wash their feet? And the host becomes the servant. This is outlandish. The, the very fact that we're told in verse 2 that Jesus has to get up during supper, in the middle of the meal, tells us that there's no servant present. But it also tells us something else, that the disciples hadn't washed their own feet. Whether from impropriety, indifference, neglect, denial, the disciples had refused to wash the dirtiest part of themselves. We're the same. We don't deal with the dirtiest part of ourselves well. We need someone to serve us when we're unwilling to go down to the lowliest of places. We need someone to stoop so low with a really uncomfortable love. This is not a comfortable thing. To make us feel so squeamish that they would bend down and wash the dirtiest part of our life. 
And that's exactly what happens. And that's partly why Jesus says to Peter in the middle verses that we didn't read, that if he does not wash him, he has no share with him. For Peter, for you, for me, with Jesus, nothing is untouchable. Nothing. He will go down as far as it takes. And in that sense, what he's doing for them in the middle of this meal, it's an enactment of of what he's about to do in his final hours. He's going to bend his knee to people whose knees should be bending to him. And he's going to bend low. He's going to bend very low. So low that he dies a criminal's death. That whoever would believe in him might be made clean. And this passage sounds a lot like another passage in Philippians 2. It's actually like a living parable, an enactment of what was sung as a hymn by the early church, that though Jesus is in the form of God, and it says in verse 3, God had given all things into his hands. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be held on to. He undressed himself. And he took the form of a servant, the lowliest of servants. And he soon would humble himself even farther by going down and down and dying a horrendous death. Jesus, the host, always goes down, down, down in love, bending his knee to those who should be bending their knees to him. I I would bet that some of you struggle to deal with Jesus's uncomfortable love in your life. I would bet that those those dirtier parts of you, those thoughts that you think, those appetites that you indulge, those actions that you might have committed That when you consider those things, they make you feel inside, if you're honest, like a pair of unwashed, ancient, dirty feet. This narrative tells you that Christ will meet you there. Nothing's too dirty for him. In the unwanted and grimy places of your life, and then once filled by his sacrifice and cleansed by his service, he beckons us to follow his example, to join his work to risk our status and standing in order to serve others, to to be willing to be uncomfortable in our love for the sake of others, to lose our lives that someone else might find theirs, to let love take us down and down and down into the weaknesses, into the dirt, into the shamefulness of others' lives, that they might receive his cleansing. And so what we begin to see if we follow his example is that no one is below us. And we don't live our lives looking down at people. We live our lives regularly looking up at them because we have descended into the lowliest place. And that's where we find fullness of life. In a phrase, really, it's at the end that we would begin to love others just as he has loved us. A living sacrifice and a servant to all men. No one is so hungry that Jesus cannot feed them. And no one is so dirty that Jesus cannot wash them clean. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we thank you for your uncomfortable love shown to us in Christ that he would stoop low and wash us clean. Help us now to do that for one another, we pray. Amen.